Welcome to Australian Hunger, I'm your host Ben. On today's show I've got an interview with Matt Dodd, who is guitarist and vocalist for Melbourne band Arbrinth. Um, I recorded this one a little while ago, um, again I apologise for getting it out so late, but um, you know, times. Speaking of times, there are a lot of protests going around happening over the past few weeks for racial justice. And you know, I don't know how to talk about this because I'm not exactly in the position where I feel like I can encourage people to go because, really, of the pandemic. There's a bit of vagueness about how exactly dangerous it is in terms of going outside, in terms of the possibility of it spreading outside. What I've heard is that it spreads well inside, it's not as well outside. Um, but unless you're sort of feeling that you're taking proper precautions, um, you know, I think it's good to ensure your own safety. But having saying that, I just want to sort of reflect on how impressive these protests have been. What sort of this has yielded in such a short amount of time? So the protests are obviously centred around Minneapolis, where unfortunately George Floyd was killed by the police there. And Minneapolis is already, I'm not sure exactly where it is in the process of their local, um, I think it's city council, actually pushing this through. Um, but basically, they're going to de- decommission its pl- the police force for the city in favour of other community safety methods. In terms of just some other results, Denver Public Schools will phase out police presence at their schools, and Microsoft will also not sell facial re- uh, facial recognition technology to police. And more broadly than that, it's also raised a massive amount of public consciousness about the issue, which includes a massive jump in favourability for the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. I think there was about a 30-point jump from uh, maybe a year ago, I think it was, to just the past week, which is really impressive. And it basically reinforces the idea that protests can actually make changes. It can feel a little bit disheartening, particularly when the protests I've seen in Melbourne you'll have an incredible amount of people protesting throughout the entire city, marching, um, disrupting, you know, the flow of all sort of city operations, or at least in that area, for however long the march takes to go through the entire length of the city. And it doesn't really feel like anything has been achieved. And I think that the, what these protests have really shown is you, it takes a more concerted effort to really challenge power. There needs a kind of fervency and intensity not necessarily violence. Um, you know, that's an interesting question, which I don't really want to tackle here. But, you know, you really need to challenge power, and that kind of takes a real dedication to get out there every day in order to make things happen. Um, and I think it's really important to sort of recognise that on a podcast like this, which focuses a lot on alternative metal music, because I think if metal sort of stands for anything, it stands for challenging power. Metal has a lot of issues, particularly with white white supremacy in some corners. Um, you know, not everyone is sort of united in believing that you know you need to tackle racial justice or believe in sort of the more left wing causes that I believe in. Um, but I think the spirit of challenging power has really flowed throughout metal's history, and I think it's really important to kind of keep that alive and recognise it and utilise it as a sort of force on its own. So, you know, if you can take part in these protests, if you feel comfortable taking part in these protests, if you can assure yourself of your own safety, um, you know, not just from police, um, but from coronavirus, um, it's obviously a very important thing that has already seen some real transformations happen, and hopefully many, many more to come. But back to kind of, you know, the focus of this show... So I talked to Matt Dodds a little while ago. He's a guitarist and vocalist for Arbrinth, who I, who I was aware of because they released an album. They kind of went quiet after that. Um, they haven't released an album until 2020, this year. There were some lineup changes. I did see them on a live show, and it was interesting. And I'm like, oh, cool, Arbrinth, I know them. Why haven't they put an album out in so long? And they finally put out one. And, you know, I think it really represents the idea of a band sort of existing for a long time. There's change. There's... there's uh, different approaches. There's saying that we want to do something different, even though I think there's a real lot of good stuff in that first album. And that's something I really appreciate about this. And so the album's called A Place of Buried Light, and the songs that I play during the interview are The Dark Between the Stars and Beautiful and Death. This is Matt Dons from Arbrinth. When did the band start? How did it get going? 
Uh, it would have been 2006-ish. Yep, early 2006, I think. Me and Pete, um, we've known each other since we were about like four years old. So we went to primary school together. Um, had another band in high school that sort of, yeah, did a few gigs here and there and then kind of split. So as we're sort of getting out of high school, we would have, we graduated maybe 2005, I think. So yeah, the year after that, we just decided to start trying to put another one together. And where'd the name come from? Uh, it was a drummer. So Junty came up with it. We were originally called Arcane, um, but spelt weirdly. So A-R-C-A-I-N-E. Um, and we needed, there was another band operating at the same time called the same thing. Um, they're in Brisbane though, but we figured we might as well change it up early on. Uh, so he came up with the name Arborant, which is sort of like a blend of trees and a maze type thing. Um, cool thing is it's yeah completely made up words. So if you Google it, it's just us. So, which is kind of cool. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> That's it, man. Marketing 101. <laughs> So, like, in terms of the history of the band, it's sort of been a, a long while um, and put out two albums. One thing that fascinated me when I saw you guys, um, when you were supporting, I think it was Elcest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, cool, oh, yeah, I've, I've listened to Arborinth, that's, that's cool, I know these guys. And you guys get up on stage and you start playing, I'm like, where's where's the female vocalist? Because I, I didn't oh, know yeah. that um, Tina had left the band. And I'm kind of curious yeah. about that, like... What what was the was it a, was it a choice was that necessity going forward as a um, without a female vocalist um, what, what happened there? So she uh, she's got a career that she is uh, quite good at. So she works um, I think it's Parks Victoria now that she works with. Um, and so she ended up leaving um, after I mean we'd been together. Yeah, she would join the band in two thousand and six as well. So I think it was late twenty thirteen that she left which is obviously a big chunk um, stylistically to take out of the band, uh, being that we had three vocalists and she was one of them. Um, but then moving forward, I suppose the newer material had to have more of a masculine approach unless we were to find someone who could yeah, fill those shoes. Um, and we ended up just yeah, getting Shane in on bass and just trying it yeah, a bit more blokey in essence. So this album, you released um, your debut in 2011 and mm-hmm. from what I can tell, like that you you on Facebook, you're, you're sort of telling people like, "Hey, we're working on new material," or "Hey, we're playing new songs live as of about 2015." Run yeah. us down, like, what were the story of this album? Is you know coming after that that first one? Look, some of it is um, uh, it's it's progressive music, um, so it takes a long time to write, so and to try and get every bit working as it should. Um, trying to do that amongst other things as well. Uh, everyone's got jobs. Um, a couple of Shane's got kids, uh, stuff like that. I was doing some fill-in work. So it's sort of, yeah, trying to make it all happen um, to its best possible outcome, I guess, while other things are going on. Um, but, yeah, we're sort of, even before the first album, we would have probably had another album's worth of material that we ended up ditching um, prior to that, just because it sort of wasn't up to standard or it was, yeah, maybe going in the wrong direction stylistically. Sort of, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, the, the time thing was just, yeah, mainly trying to get it right partly um, and to try and work within everyone's lives. Were you always sort of writing for the next album? Did it sort of come out like, all right, now, like an album, is, is, we're actually writing for a specific album? Like, when, when did that sort of more concrete idea of like, hey, this is an album sort of come together? Probably closer to, yeah, 2015, 2016, I think. So we were, after um, 2011, or late 2011, we were starting to write some stuff. It came out a little bit differently, some of the things we were doing, maybe a bit more post-rock um, sounding, and maybe not quite the direction we were sort of wanting to go. Um, and then obviously, you know, personnel change as well. You've got to kind of adapt to that and, you know, train the new guy up. Um, gigs here and there, you know, we did a tour and stuff with uh, Meridian in 2016. So just different priorities at different times. But yeah, basically once it uh, got to about, yeah, 2015, we started having a bit of a, bit more of a clear direction. Um, we had a collection of songs that were starting to sound like they're from the same place. Um, and then we we're just sort of moving forward from there, just adding to it and just trying to refine it. In terms of some of those songs which you were playing live as of 2015, mm-hmm. were they sort of static about that stage or were they sort of constantly changing? And how, how did that go? They were mostly done. So the two that were um, getting heavy rotation back then was Shores of Avonry and Beautiful in Death. 
Um, the idea at the time is we a lot of our songs are stories, and so most of the time they're like micro stories. So the song would just be a journey from the start to the end. With this one, we decided to try a bit more of a concept approach. So we had the, I would argue the music was done, but the lyrics maybe we had to sort of remold it to work with the rest of the album uh, a couple of years later. Not drastically, because some of the stories like worked in with our sort of overall concept, but the yeah, largely, you know, the, the vocals would have been the biggest thing to change, I reckon, in those two. Well, we'll get to conceptual stuff and vocals in a minute. Mm-hmm. In terms of like writing, how, how does the band approach that? Uh, you know, fling shit and see what it sticks. <laughs> so it sticks to, but um, it probably starts on guitars, I would say. Uh, but it's uh, we normally just get in a room and just try some stuff out. Um, you know, these days you can use computers and stuff, which is pretty handy. So we can, you know, have a cool idea, record it, see how it pans out. Sometimes it's awesome, sometimes it's not. Um, and it's sort of up to all of us together whether we follow that inspiration or maybe cut it off and try something different. Um, we sort of, again, our songs are normally pretty long, so we sort of have to build them up, and it's usually done like sort of uh, section by section. So if a section's good enough, it stays. If it's not, it tends to go, or it just doesn't work, and we can all kind of feel it. How do you keep track of though those sections or you know songs that are sort of getting finished? How do you, how do you maintain their momentum? Uh, to be honest, it's hard. But you, everyone just kind of knows. Um, we're pretty democratic as well with how we do everything. So if someone's not happy, um, we're always happy to sort of discuss that and try and figure out whether the song is moving in the right direction or what compromises, et cetera, what might make this part work, whether it's the wrong mood or, you know, things like that. It's sort of they, they slowly reveal themselves after a while. Um, you know, you get halfway through a song, it's sort of pointing in one direction. If you take a real sharp right turn, it might not work out as well. How, how about you personally? How do you, let's say you've got some free time, you want to generate some ideas or progress a song in a certain way. How do you approach that kind of creative aspect of it? Uh, like anyone, man, you just wait for the creative spark. Just keep playing guitar until something cool comes out. Um, I'm sort of like, I, I'm really involved in guitars. I work in a music shop, so I'm always around them. Um, and yeah, it's just a matter of sort of finding, you know, when the lightning strikes, try and bottle it. Um, personally, I, at home, I've got a little bit of a recording setup. So if I'm playing around with something and, you know, inspiration sort of strikes and I try and follow it until at least the end of an idea and get it down. And then from that point, you know, show the guys and we can sort of, you know, work on it a bit more from there. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the overall sound of this album, I'm not sure I can quite sort of pin down how it sort of differs from the previous one. How do you sort of think about the relationship between the two? It's probably not as upbeat um, as some of it. And we were sort of, I mean, being that late 2011 versus, you know, we finished this late last year. Um, So we were a different age altogether. I mean, we're all into our 30s now. So I would argue the newer sound is maybe a little bit more mature um, and a little bit less going on. But I would also sort of say it's maybe a bit darker and a bit more post-metal. The first one, um, I mean, the influences are probably similar across the two, um, but the first one had a little bit more of a folk element to it. Um, the second one, it's sort of the folk element's a bit more of an undercurrent. So I'm I'm sitting here listening. I'm like, oh, I know who the vocalists are because I read who they are on the... Uh, Facebook or uh, Bandcamp or anything like that, but when it comes to, like two vocalists, I don't necessarily know who they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so break, break that down for us. How do you and Pete work that out between the two of you? Uh, sometimes, I mean, we do a lot of it um, uh, when we are writing sort of together. We're often sort of playing as we're writing stuff. Um, this album was maybe a little bit different, but yeah, for the most part, it, it can start out as easy as like, all right, you've got a simpler riff, you get the vocal melody. Um, but with this one, we probably step back a little bit and just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's just sort of whoever's voice works for whichever part. There's a, I mean, yeah, like I say, we've sort of known each other and grown up around each other for so long. There's probably a lot of similarities in what we do. Um, but some parts, you know, for example, his growls are a little bit deeper, mine are a little bit higher. Um, some of the vocal stuff, I've got a deeper voice. Uh, he's got a slightly higher voice. So sort of a, a texture thing as well. So hopefully the the decision we come to is serving the song the best. 
So there's not often too many arguments about, you know, I want this bit. It's more about what do you think is going to work. Mm-hmm. And first and foremost, we're the guitar players. So vocals kind of came along second for us. Mm. There are some surprisingly, in just, just in terms of the context of the rest of the vocals in the album, mm. some surprisingly deep vocals on Immolation of Lamb. I'm wondering where that yep. came from. Uh, well, that's me, basically. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit of um, channeling Peter Steele or, you know, sort of Woods of Ypres type thing. Um, but, I mean, my vocal range, or even my just voice, lives around that kind of register, so it was worth sort of trying some stuff out. Um, some of the backups as well uh, in Crucible, in the background, there's a little bit more sort of, you know, that Gregorian sort of chant type thing, which is something we like to experiment with. Um, and something we didn't get a chance to do on the first album, just um, uh, call it, you know, maybe our voices were all different back then or the music wasn't calling for it, but this sort of had, uh, yeah, a little bit more relevance on this one. Let 
find you It's all just to see In terms of the lyrics of the album, how, you talk a little bit about them sort of coming very late in the project. How did you sort of think about those? How did you approach that as a conceptual sort of aspect of the album? How did that all come together? So we, I mean, we're big fans of concept albums, um, you know, stuff like the early Opeth uh, stuff, Arion as well. Um, we always wanted to put a concept album together. Um, and this, as we were sort of moving forward, kind of seemed like we could. Uh, but as far as the story goes, it sort of changed a little bit here and there. Um, Pete kind of took the reins on a lot of it. But it's, uh, yeah, we kind of, uh, much like music, you know, you sort of collaborate. If someone's got a clearer vision, you just follow it. Um, but, yeah, we did you know, have a couple of, you know, a few sit-downs and just try and sort of get a bit of a synopsis going. Um, that way we've got a guideline. And then what we were able to do is sort of try and read the emotive parts of the songs and just see what they were doing as well. And then all of a sudden you can piece the story around it. But yeah, usually it's music first, um, lyrics second. So we didn't sort of start with the concept and then write to it. We sort of uh, adapted a concept to what was going on and just tried to make it mutually beneficial. So the, the calling, um, short track in the middle, um, yep. you know, sort of nicely breaks up the album. I'm wondering if that sort of came along a, a naturally it was sort of specifically tailored to f- uh, perform that function. How did that song come about? Uh, it was sort of, yeah, tailored. So the idea was we wanted something in the middle of the album anyway to have a, give it a bit of breath. Um, the melody in that, the guitar melody anyway, is actually a part of the next song. Um, so we liked the idea of a couple of sort of melodic callbacks and things like that. But the idea of the concept is essentially um, a, a guy's chasing someone through purgatory. And the calling is actually the person he's chasing, essentially. So that's sort of like, um, you know, sorrowful, uh, off into the distance, not quite there kind of vibe. Um, We thought it was a good sort of precursor to immolation as well, because that's a very heavy start. And our friend Stevie as well um, has got an amazing voice. So it was good to get her on there. And also, like we were talking about earlier, um, the female element, you know, essentially is gone from the band. So it was good to sort of have a small part in there that was a little bit more feminine to kind of break it up. Um, in, in terms of the concept, like it, it, this is something I'm always interested in because like you can, you can invent anything you want and like, 
it's obviously going to reference stuff, but like it's just sort of stuff you've ambiently absorbed. But um, but you can also be very interested in something specifically at that moment. I, I'm wondering what it was for you guys. Maybe, maybe I don't know if you can speak for Pete or not. But like what it was in terms of like what what inspiration are we drawing on for for this? Look, probably a bit of everything. Um, but the. I mean, yeah, it's sort of – this is very much about loss, I guess. Um, and, and I don't think it would be a, like a direct uh, influence. Like none of us have had any sort of, um, you know, particularly big losses in uh, surrounding the album. Um, but I think a lot of it was sort of reacting to the emotion of the music as well. Um, so sort of yeah, ambient and sort of sorrowful is sort of the, the undercurrent of the whole album. Um, it's not a particularly uplifting thing. There are moments of sort of, you know, like uh, hope, I guess, but not necessarily happiness. So it's sort of we fed off the emotion of the music and then sort of worked from there to kind of figure out, you know, what would be a good way of describing that and a good sort of um, – or what would it be a good backdrop to, really? Um, and then essentially sort of scripted it around that. You worked on some of the additional instrumentation, I believe, with uh, composer Dylan – um, is his last name. Yes, <laughs> cool. Um, so what's your relationship with him? How do you get working with him for that? Uh, well, I worked with him in a music store, so uh, he's uh, yeah a, a young sort of talented composer. Um, basically, we had a lot of the melodies down anyway, um, but he is a little bit more savvy with the computer side of stuff, and obviously being a composer, um, strings and things like that, he was able to to help with. Um. And yeah, it basically just asked a buddy for a hand, really. That's sort of how it came about. Um, it was sort of, yeah, there's maybe four parts where it was uh, needed. And again, it was sort of more textural. There's a lot of reverb on this one, a lot more sort of like um, a lot of guitar stuff. This was just a support for that. You had Brad uh, Boatwright mastered. Why did you choose him? Uh, so Joel uh, from the Black Lodge Studios suggested him. And after checking out what he's already done, we're like, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Um, partly because he sort of had a, his hat in the sort of doomier sort of realm. Um, we didn't want it to be too compressed and too slick. Um, but I, I think he did a good job. I think it came out really well and it gave it a little bit more density than it had when we were mixing. Some basic facts about the album. Why did you choose the title? Obviously, it's, a, I think, the last track on the album. Yeah, but, but was there a specific like, hey, this is a title, or hey, this is just a good word from the 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 album titles, the the song titles? Why would you go with that one? Uh, it's sort of uh, it was a toss up between that or the second track, "Dark Between the Stars." We were either going to use one or the other. Um, then a place of very light sort of seemed a bit more fitting with the way that the story was going. Um, you know, chasing something that was sort of maybe not there was the um you know the vibe of it was dark between the stars a little bit more you know looking up into the void i guess so it sort of had a had a better fit to to us anyway it just strikes me now like um in terms of references to kind of i don't know maybe maybe this is just a very uh surface kind of thought but like in terms of references to kind of light darkness does, does that was, was that any special focus in terms of the lyrics a little bit, yeah. Um, but it's sort of also the music. Like, we've always been a fan of uh, having a lot of dynamic control. Um, we're not a particularly grim band, um, but there's elements of darkness to it. We're not a particularly light band either, um, but there's a lot of melodic content. So we like to have the option of going in between them. Um, but the idea of the, the light is that sort of represents the, the person um, in the story that's, that's being followed. Um, so the, the fellas essentially like, uh, yeah, following, uh, his wife through a, a sort of like purgatory type thing with different stages. And also who did the cover up? What was their brief? Uh, well, uh, I, I did with, a uh, with Perry. Um, so a friend of ours who's a graphic designer helped us with a lot of that. The brief, were, we didn't have a brief, if I'm honest, we sort of, um, tried a couple of different ideas and then just this one sort of spoke to us a little bit. The, uh, the cover art is sort of a, a visual representation of beautiful in death. Um, there's a part in that story where uh, the, the female character in the, the actual concept 
um, jumps off a cliff. And, uh, yeah, he's watching as it happens. So that, to me, was sort of a powerful visual that we could use. Talk a little bit about you guys as a live, um, you know, as a performing band. You had the launch show, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. How, mm-hmm. did, how did that go? That was awesome, man. Yeah, um, worked out really well. So, uh, yeah, thankfully we uh, we knew most of the bands that were going to be on the bill anyway, so it was good to just get everyone in the same room. Um, but, yeah, it, it went well. It was good. We, um, I mean, we're not a massive band. We don't headline a lot, but it was uh, in a good test. Um, doing something like a 50 minute set, I think. Uh, which, yeah, it was, it was a, a good sort of challenge for us. Going to, back to something I mentioned up the top of the interview, um, mm. in terms of you guys as a live performance, I, I didn't have you know, your songs uh, calibrated to memory as much as uh, that I could compare them, but I, I'm interested in how you approach some of those songs from the first album with, with one element missing from them. Some of that we had to be careful with. Um, so in the, the sort of early stage, we picked, I think it was maybe two songs that were going to work um, that we were able to put in our live set. At the moment, we mainly just played Drinker of Worlds, which is the last song of the first album, uh, partly because the female element of it we could replace with the guitar lead. So even though it's sort of a big part of the song, um, the, the melody can be sort of uh, substituted, I guess, by something else. Um, in the future, we might find, you know, getting someone in for a session or something like that might help um, if there's a bunch that we want to draw on from the first album. Uh, at this stage, we sort of... The the live set has majority of the second album anyway, so we sort of only really do one song from the first one. Now, it's a kind of a, like intensive show in a lot of ways. A lot of harmonies, a lot of, um, you know, different people doing different vocals, obviously. What are you trying to do when you play a live show? What's kind of your focus? To entertain, man. Um, but I suppose just uh, translate the, the music across well. So it can be a little hard because we, uh, again, like I say, we started off as guitar players um, and sort of fell into singing because back in the early days, we sort of didn't really know if we could find a vocalist that did what we wanted them to. So we just kept trying until we got okay at it. But yeah, it's um it's a little bit of a juggling act, like uh, essentially playing the lead, then the rhythm, and the same with vocals. So you're either in front or you're you're supporting the the lead singer in that particular part. But it's all part of the fun. It's part of the you know the creative process and sort of you know that's another element to it. Trying to work out how to do it live. Uh, a couple of final questions about you, sort of as an artist. Yeah. When did you start listening to heavy music? Uh, when I was pretty young, um, I had an older brother, so I took up guitar when I was maybe about 12 anyway. Um, and then maybe when I was about 14, I kind of, like, there was always sort of, you know, Metallica and stuff like that around. Um, Pantera, Cowboys from Hell was probably my first favorite sort of metal album. But I would say around then is when it all began. Mm, and when did the sort of, I don't know, folky, uh, other musical styles, when did they come in, uh, come into it for you? probably a little bit later in high school um for me anyway but pete's uh, dad is a folk musician so he plays mandolin um in an irish sort of session band so as during the sort of mid area of high school we used to go to a few of his gigs and it was a cool sort of i don't know um cool education and some melody i guess because yeah they're always melodic and they're always pushing forward um there's there's rarely any dips but that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, even bands like um, you know some of the early Opeth stuff, uh, having that element in it was uh, opened up the door for us creatively, or at least sort of you know opened our minds to it, the possibility that you can have that kind of texture. You mentioned that you started playing guitar at around twelve. Mm-hmm. Why, why did you stick with it? Oh, I just fell in love with it, basically. Um, it, admittedly, I, I don't think anyone starts guitar because they think they're going to be good at it or you know, because they want a challenge. They just potentially want to look cool or they want to sort of feel something similar to the music that's inspiring them. But at, at a certain point, you just sort of, yeah, fall in love with the different nuances. Um, and it's ongoing. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing, what, 20 years? Um, and I'm still learning things. And I'm still figuring stuff out, which is awesome. In terms of you approaching vocals, like, what was your sort of process? Because, like, I think you you do a genuinely good job. Like, you, you sort of say, say it as if 
you like you had to kind of muddle your way around, but you do a generally good <laughs> good job of Thanks, like man. in Appreciate the al- in the album. There, there's some wonderful harmonies in there. It's just really good listening. How, how did you sort of feel your way through that process? I, I think most of the time we approach anything is melodically. So if um, I mean we've got some heavy riffs, but they're not super chunky fat palm beauty riffs. They've always got something melodic going on. Um, it's just sort of how many layers. And uh, in terms of the vocal approach, we just kind of, uh, I mean, we, we try a bunch of stuff and try and see what our voices can do as well. Um, there are some limitations for some of it, but also some of it can work really well. Um, you know, as a sort of uh, an example, the end of Crucible, um, there's sort of more just a texture rather than actually, you know, singing words and stuff like that. But it sort of really supports the part. So I think, again, it's that, uh, like we were talking about earlier, the creative spark, you know, if it's there and it's something cool that we can do, absolutely, we're into it. This is kind of a difficult question um, <laughs> to spring on you. <laughs> but what, what yeah, are, go for it, man. <laughs> but what, what, what are your, some of your favorite bands or albums? Um, oh, I mean, I like heaps of stuff, but I think um, I, I really like uh, Amorphous. Elegy is a great album. Um Agalock, Ashes Against the Grain, uh, anything, well, anything Opeth, to be honest, across the board, but their earlier stuff, I would say, is probably more of an influence. Um, but yeah, I mean, we like a lot of stuff, That's and that kind of shows in the music as well. I mean, some of it's sort of in familiar territory, but some of it's sort of pulling influences from a, a broad range of different bands. And last question, what have you been listening to, reading, watching, or playing lately? Uh, or literally Elegy when I got out of the car earlier. <laughs> um, but in terms of sort of uh, like some newer stuff, I've been getting into Baroness's new album. Um, I'm not much of a gamer, so I haven't really been playing anything. Um, and I normally just watch whatever's on Netflix that I kind of like, maybe some comedies or something like that. But yeah, I would, I would say, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something new that I've been listening to that's sort of... Oh, actually, the new Alsace album I've been really digging. That's pretty cool.
Beautiful and Death, and before that we heard The Dark Between the Stars, both tracks from Arbrand's new album, A Place of Buried Light, and thanks again to Matt Dodd for chatting to me. Before I go to recommendations, the first one is Empathica by Unrequited. Um, sort of like atmospheric, symphonic, black metal sound. One thing that I think really separates this album from a lot of others is really getting real impression that the creative talent behind it has a sort of a, a bit more of a knack for composing. And I'm not necessarily saying that as if they're like a composer of symphonic music of, of uh, an orchestra, but like just the idea of all these sort of instruments interacting in interesting ways. Uh, you get a bit more, they got a bit more of a talent for that. Um, and I think, you know, the string sections makes it a more worthwhile contribution than you hear a lot of this music. I think sort of structurally, I'm not, I'm not sure about the album because the album finishes with a really, really simple but beautiful track, Dreamers Hired Away, to finish off. But I think um, the album kind of doesn't start with as much energy as it really needs to. It starts with a three-part, um, three, three, uh, three songs which make up a three-part sort of collective, Empathica. But the, the opening track, it kind of... 
it has that feel of an intro track where you're not sure if it's really making a contribution to the album. Not, not, not that it's not a good track, and not that I think it's a really good introduction to sort of, as I was saying, the more composely idea of an album. Uh, but I think, I don't know, maybe it should have been moved to later in the album, this three-part um, part. I don't know about just the three songs. I, I'm not sure I feel the connection to them. But having said all that, I think we've been a little bit critical of it. I, I'm, I'm critical of it because I actually re- really enjoy a lot of what it has to say in general. I, I think um, it's really kind of well done, possibly not a classic, but I think in terms of atmospheric black metal, it really sort of punches above this sort of average album. Also, I want to recommend A Dead and Aimless Hum by Shed from the Body, and Shed from the Body is one word in that instance. This is not as good as the um, Empathia by Unrequited, but it has some really beautiful vocals. I think it's got a really nice mood, this sort of very low-intensity mood, this kind of a little bit more dour um, that sort of pervades the entire album, but not all the tracks quite hit. The song's kind of a little bit rocky for my taste, and they tend to sort of trail off. They're not quite shaped. But I think if you're kind of looking for a doomy, little bit post-rock, kind of shoegazy album, if you're into that kind of stuff, I I think this is also an album for you, and there's something to really enjoy in it, even if not every song is really going to hit it out of the park for you. You can contact me on social media, at OzHunger, that's A-U-S Hunger, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can also send me an email, australianhunger at gmail.com. Any comments, questions, or if you're looking to set up an interview, let me know and maybe we can work something out. But until next time, bye. Bye.